0: The king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. The king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in, in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus... You shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from the body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. O oh Lord, during this time, this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts as we dig into the Scripture be pleasing to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So have you, have you ever asked for God's advice for something big or small? Did you listen for the answer? And did God answer? If He did... What did God say? Or, maybe like me, you've tried something big without asking God's advice. Have you ever done that? Or someone else's advice and later wish that you had? Today, we're looking at those kind of questions here in 2 Samuel 7. You know something we love about the Old Testament, and I think especially books like First and 2 Samuel, which we're spending a big chunk of time here in the winter, is that they are essentially narrative history. In other words, they are stories, and people love stories. And these are real people like us. Despite being a prophet and a king like this week's story, heroes or villains in other places, these are real people with real stories. Today's story, we have three primary actors, Nathan and David and God Himself. Nathan and David certainly play big roles in this chapter, but David is the king, and Nathan is his trusted prophet. But God is the primary actor in this story. So back to the story, when David is, is probably sitting in the palace, and he's thinking, and he runs it by Nathan as prophet, should he build a house for God, Nathan very quickly responds, do it, for the Lord your God is with you. But God has other plans. God says in a dream to Nathan, that same night, it says, so God doesn't wait, hold on here with your plans, not so fast. Here we see God take charge. I think sometimes when we think we are in charge, that we have everything figured out, God can sometimes break in and say, no, 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 I am still in charge. I can lead you where to go. So, back to verses 1 and 2. What's the setting again here in the story? Israel as at peace. We've seen in previous chapters that David has defeated all the surrounding enemies. David is settled in his house, his palace in Jerusalem, what's called the city of David at that time. The Ark of the Covenant has been brought to Jerusalem, but it's still in a tent or a tabernacle as it had been in the wilderness. But David wants to build a house for God. When he says house, he means a temple. And so he runs that by Nathan, his prophet. But what are David's motives for building a temple? Well, he says, he says, you know, I have this I have this palace, this, this castle in a sense built of cedar, but God's living in a tent. Maybe I should build him a house and I think that's a, it's a great motive. But perhaps his motives are mixed. David is human like us. And I've read this week that in the ancient world, kings or rulers would build temples for their gods to bring honor to the gods, but also to bring honor to themselves, because oftentimes then they would be related to uh, what they had built, and the people would see them building something grand, and so they would get great credit for that. They could build the temple close to where their house or their palace was. And really, in a sense, putting God in a box uh, next to where they lived. So David may have had good motives. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't realize that perhaps the people would see the greatness again of David because they've seen David as great. David's been successful in almost everything he's tried. Perhaps he didn't understand. They would see again the greatness of David instead of the greatness of God. David is human. And Nathan is human too. Um, I think perhaps in order to to please uh, David, perhaps because he's seen everything go David's way, that Nathan answers quickly, go ahead and do this before consulting God. But I also want to say Nathan was courageous. He knew that David was incredibly powerful. He had been around to see that David had won all these battles. He, he knew that David had the power to punish his enemies. And if you read back at the end of 1 Samuel, and really even in the, in the first part of 2 Samuel, you'll see sometimes David had his enemies put to death. And Nathan knows all this. And yet, even after he tells David, go ahead and do it. The next day, he comes back with a change of plans, and I think that took courage for Nathan. David has a big project in mind. He doesn't ask God personally, but he does ask the prophet, and he gets a quick yes, but God speaks and says no. But here we see that both Nathan and David listen carefully to what God says, and so I think this is something we can learn from this. We too should ask God first when we have a big project in mind, we have big decisions in mind. We should ask trusted advisors first, as David was running this by Nathan. And when we do ask, we should listen carefully before making big decisions. Now, I haven't always done this well in my own life. I will say in my biggest decisions I have, I certainly remember praying before I asked Claire to marry me. That was very important. Uh, But I remember clearly also in my 20s, my early 20s, wondering about going into ministry. And I had a finance degree from Baylor University where I went to college, and I got out. and I worked for a year on home loans at a mortgage company, and I was miserable. I figured out this is not what I want to do with the rest of my life. I went and worked at an inner city school, which was more fulfilling for a couple of years. But that entire two years I was working there, I was having this nudge, this sense that maybe I should go into full-time ministry. So I started thinking about it. I spent some time with two pastors at my home church in Dallas, Texas at that time, I asked them lots of questions about what ministry was like. I wanted to know as much as I could know, and I asked for their advice. They told me some questions that I should ask, but they didn't tell me what to do. Still being in my early 20s, I asked my parents for advice, and I told them I was thinking seriously about going into ministry when without telling me what to do, they gave me their blessing. And I did pray. I prayed a lot those couple of years. God, is this feeling this nudge. Is this really something I'm supposed to do? I looked seriously at three different seminaries, and I ended up visiting, applying to, and going to Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. And it was great, but I want to tell you, I had always lived in Texas, and the first couple of months, I was homesick. I was lonely. I remember I didn't know a single person in the entire state of California. It was hard to meet people at first, But I felt called, and because I felt called, I stuck it out, I ended up loving it there. And in that case, trying carefully to listen to God, to the advice of others, praying, I made a step of faith, and it turned out great. So what did God say in this story to Nathan and to David? Let's get to that. That's the biggest chunk, really, of this story. One of the commentators I read said in these verses, and it's really from verses 4 through 17, it's a big chunk of what we read just a few minutes ago, God is the first-person subject of 23 verbs in just those 14 verses or so. God is speaking, and clearly God is now in charge, as we see here in this passage. I'm going to paraphrase of what uh, God basically says here, and as I say this, imagine not God saying these same words to you, but if you were to ask God about a big decision, or maybe in this case, uh, Nathan hadn't consulted him on a big decision, imagine God saying something like this to you as you listen to God. Are you the one who's supposed to build a house for me? Did I say I needed a house? I have not lived in a house, but in a tent. Ever since we left Egypt, we've been moving around in a tent. Did I ever say to any of the leaders of the tribes of Israel when we're out in the wilderness, hey, I need a house? No, I did not. But David, I will make you a house. I have always provided for you. He says from pasture to become a good shepherd, to be ruler over Israel, I helped to cut down your enemies in front of you. That wasn't all you. I helped you in that. And I want to tell you, your house will endure forever. I will provide a place or a home for Israel, a home of their own. I will give you rest, David, and the nation rest. But you won't build the temple. Your offspring will, which turns out to be Solomon, his son. And I will never take my love from him, but I will correct him when he does wrong. Your house, your throne, will be established forever. I love the play on words here that God does and the way it reads to us in the English. <clears throat> God says, you will build me a house? No, I will build you a house. It seems that David is still very much focused on doing, and maybe that was his personality to be a doer very much. And it seems there, there is peace here in Jerusalem, but David wants to keep on doing and building. But instead, God wants to focus on the relationship with David and what He is doing and will do in David's life and through David and says to David and even to the people there, "'I will give you rest.'" I was reading this week about that play on words, you give me a house. No, I will give you a house. And one writer I read this week says, We want to favor God. We may want to favor God with our work, but God wants us to savor God. We want to favor God, but God wants us to savor God. We think by doing more and more and more, we can please God, but there are certainly times in our lives when God wants us just to be still. And to know Him, and often by knowing Him, and I've I've even read this in a few uh, devotionals that I look at, even in the last couple of weeks, oftentimes when we take quiet time to know God and to pray to God, some of the things we're wondering about will suddenly become more clear if we simply take the time. Also read this week, do you ever get distracted from God because you're trying to do so much for God? Do you ever get distracted from God because you're trying to do so much for God? So instead of favoring God, let us savor God this morning and this week. And instead of being distracted from God, let us practice being with God this week as well. But what a set of promises that Uh, God has made to David, and scholars say that this is really, it doesn't use this word, but this is really a covenant. It's really the fourth covenant of the Old Testament. I'm not going to spend, you know, half an hour going through this, but I want to take just a moment to go through these covenants. Very important. God made a covenant with Noah, that God will maintain his relationship with humans and never flood the earth again. God made a covenant with Abraham, I will make you a great nation with many descendants And you will be blessed to be a blessing. God is setting up this relationship with his people. God made a covenant with Moses. God will rescue his people from Egypt through Moses and make them a nation and lead them to a promised land. They will have a land of their own. And with David, they're now in the promised land. The people will have a home. They will have rest. And David's line in this kingdom will reign forever. This is God's covenant with David. We read here right in Second Samuel 7, an amazing answer from God uh, to what Nathan and David were thinking about. Here's what we find out. David is dependent on God. God is not dependent on David. God has always provided for David, and He says He always will. God will provide for us If we trust him, he always will. God says no to David's offer to him, but yes to the house of David, ruling forever. And I don't believe this is God's intent to humble David, but to lift him up by establishing his kingdom and really his line forever. God will allow a temple through Solomon, but it won't be David's temple. He won't get the credit. It won't be Solomon's temple. It will be God's temple in the future down the road. Now, I found myself thinking again this week as God is truly, um, you know, blessing David again in this passage. What we've been studying in this series and reading about back in 1 Samuel and the start of 2 Samuel, David is incredibly blessed in so many ways. Why did God choose David? We can see in many ways that David was intimate with God. David was close with God. When the Israelites were, were facing the Philistine army and Goliath was out there, the entire army, no one in the army would go out to face Goliath out of fear. And David, who came to bring food to his brothers, uh, he wasn't afraid. Instead, he was offended that Goliath would call out to his people and, and would offend God And he said, with God's help, I will fight Goliath, and I will defeat him. David is faithful. We read that David cries out to God when Saul is chasing him around and try to kill him. We see that David dances in the streets, as we talked about last Sunday. Out of worship to God, David is willing to even dance. When he prays in the Psalms, as we read several weeks ago in the 23rd Psalm, David gives great praise and thanksgiving to God, and his words show a desire in his heart to be close to God. I believe this is why God chose David. He wanted to be close to God and dependent on God. So what does all this mean for us? We learn when considering something big, ask God first. Pray and listen. Ask for advice from others and then step out in faith. We can also learn that through David's story, God opposes the proud, but God lifts up the humble as God had lifted up the young David. So I was thinking about this week and actually read from another writer this week who else was humble and part of this long line of David. It was Mary in the New Testament. So David, David reigned about 1,000 BC. So if we fast forward a 1,000 years, an entire millennium, we read the story of Mary. Mary was just a teenager. She was pregnant before she was married, but she was chosen to be the mother of Jesus. And she was told this by an angel in Luke chapter 1. And this is what the angel says to the humble, young, scared Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. God fulfills his promises. He fulfilled his promises to David. God was with David, with Israel. He is with us today. In the Holy Spirit that we have in us, He's with us through Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God doesn't need us, but God can use us. God bless David. God can bless us as well and does. So this week, may we be humble before God. May we seek to be close to God as we can read in David's Psalms. May we be faithful. So this week again, ask God for help in your decisions. Listen carefully. Ask others for advice when you need. Be humble and be faithful and step out in faith. And with that, let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we give you thanks for being with us today. God, I, I want to thank you again for this incredible story of David. We can read throughout this part of the Old Testament. God, that we can read the actual words of the Psalms attributed to David in so many ways. We're thankful for that, O Lord, because God, through that, we can learn what it it means to be a person who wanted to be close to you, and God, that you were close to him. So help us, O God, in this story to remember to ask you first when we want to try something, to listen carefully for your response, to ask others for advice, and to step out in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jane, for leading us in prayer. Thank you to the praise team for leading us in worship Uh, very much. We appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on live stream. I see you snowboards down there in Naples and Bonita Springs, and I'm a little jealous, but uh, we're going to have sunshine here today in Indiana, so I'm glad to be here. But thanks for joining us on live stream wherever you are. Uh, Before we begin the message, I have a couple of important and kind of quick announcements, but... Uh, we did have a Women's Great Banquet last fall, but for the first time in two years, we're having both Men's and Women's Great Banquet starting in just a couple of weeks. The Men's Great Banquet's less than two weeks away, Women's Great Banquet less than four weeks away. We've taken many precautions to make those safe weekends, and so if you've never been, I want to make a personal invitation as the Community Spiritual Director for Great Banquet sign up. We have spots available. They're waiting for you. The teams are ready. They've done a lot of prep. Uh, we'd be excited to have you. And if not, invite a friend. We'd love to have you. There are spots available. So invite someone to Great Banquet here in the next couple of weeks. Also next Sunday is Bible Buddy Dedication Day. It's February 27th. So what is this? This is a Linton. Church reading plan. It is for the entire church, so if you're not a kid, uh, don't tune out right now. There is a Lenten reading plan for both adults and for children. Now, the kids, if they come next uh, Sunday or if they come on Ash Wednesday, and they can probably get one later as well, they'll get a stuffed animal provided by the church to read their Bible with them. So there's a kids' reading plan, there's adult's reading plan. I looked at zpc.org this morning. You can download it there already. You can get it in paper uh, next Sunday or on Ash Wednesday on March 2nd. Please join us for the Linton reading plan. And I, I love technology. I did just get a text about 30 minutes ago from Pastor Jerry that they landed safely in Israel. So that's really cool. Very fun. So they will be going to see some specific places related to King David, including the City of David historical site, which is in Jerusalem. Uh, the traditional site where David built his palace, which we'll read about today. Very, very cool. So uh, when, when I got to go in 2019, give credit to the crabs and the burgesses for bringing the fun factor to our trip. So thank you very much. So there you go. We do plan on taking some future trips to Israel. I'm excited about going back. The gambles to bring the fun factor. That's right. We do plan on taking some future trips. So if you're interested down the road, we don't have dates. I'd encourage you to go to that when that uh, comes up. All right, let's get to the message. We're back to King David, man after God's own heart. And as Jane included in the prayer today, we are in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Let's read that now. Now, when the king was settled in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, "'See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent.' "'Nathan said to the king, "'Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you.'" But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, "'Go and tell my servant David.'" Thus says the Lord, "'Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle.'" Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus, you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went. I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may live in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies." Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever asked for God's advice for a big decision? And if you did, did you wait and listen for His answer? And did you sense that God gave you an answer? And if He did, what did He say? Can you remember? Or have you been like me sometimes, asking or thinking about a big decision and skipping, not asking for God's advice or maybe someone else's advice and wish that you had? Today, we're looking at those kinds of questions because they're really addressed here in 2 Samuel 7. Now, I love love the Old Testament. I think I've said this before because really… It's narrative, it's story, and so we're still in this long story of David, and this is part of that story here in 2 Samuel 7, with three primary actors in it, David, Nathan, and God himself. Now, Nathan and David certainly play roles in this chapter. David is the king, and Nathan is his prophet, but God is the primary actor in this story. So, when David runs it by Nathan that God doesn't have a house, and yet he lives in a palace. Nathan says, whatever, basically, whatever you're thinking, do it, for the Lord your God is with you. But God says in a dream to Nathan that same night, not so, not so fast, uh, hold on with your plans. And here is where God takes charge. And I think sometimes when we think we're in charge, When we have it all figured out, at least I do for myself, when I think I have it all figured out, God will sometimes take back control, take charge, and say, no, I've got this. I'm going to lead you and guide you where you need to go. Well, if we go back to the start of this chapter in verses 1 and 2, Israel is at peace. David has defeated all his surrounding enemies. We read that in kind of the end of 1 Samuel, and this first part of 2 Samuel. David has won all the battles. He's now in the what, what it's called the city of David in Jerusalem. Uh, in 2 Samuel 6, we read last week that the ark of the covenant has been brought up and has been put in its tent, and so they are at rest. They use that term, and David is settled in his house. So he wants to build a house for God, a temple, and he consults Nathan, his prophet. But we wonder what are David's motives. For building a temple. And he says here, he says, you know, I have a house, I have a palace, but God is living in a tent. So maybe his, his motives are perfect and good. This is simply what he wants. But perhaps he has mixed motives. Perhaps he doesn't even understand all his motives. In the ancient world, kings or rulers would build temples for their gods not only to bring honor to the gods, but to bring honor to themselves. Oftentimes when they would have a a large building project like that or build a temple, uh, the people would see that the king was doing something good, and so the king would get great credit for that. Oftentimes the kings then would build the temple close to where they lived, making God's house near them, and almost in a sense making God in a, a little bit of beholden to them or or in a sense, putting God in a box by building a place of their own design. But we don't know for sure if David's motives were all good or mixed or whatever. But we know that David is human and that Nathan is human too. In this story, I think perhaps to to please the king, perhaps because basically David has had success at almost everything that he's done, Nathan doesn't consult God when he hears David talking about building a house. Instead, he quickly says, the Lord is with you. Do whatever you will. But I also want to say, I think Nathan was courageous as well because he knows uh, David's power. He's seen David have his enemies, and those enemies have been put to death after battles, after he's conquered different lands. And so, David has power he could have power to punish Nathan or even have him killed. So when God speaks to Nathan, and Nathan, as one commentator I read this week, said he revokes the building permit for the temple, Nathan listens and is bold enough to go back to David probably the very next day and say, let's hold on here. David has this big project in mind. Now, he doesn't ask God personally, but he does ask the prophet and God has spoken through Nathan and said no. But I think here's an important point as well, is that both Nathan and David listen carefully. We could have seen Nathan perhaps not listen to God, not wanting to risk his life, or not wanting to go back to, to David and say, I was wrong. We could see David maybe fighting back. You're arguing with God about this, and we'll, we can talk about that next week as well. But what we do see is that Nathan and David listen carefully to God. And so, we can learn that we too should ask God first before going forward in our plans and listen carefully before making big decisions. Now, I haven't always done this well in my own life, but I think on my biggest decisions, I've done well with that. I remember uh, before I got married to Claire, I remember praying and asking God, "Is this the right thing? Is, is you know, as you might say, is she the one? Am I supposed to ask Claire to marry me?" I very, very much remember that. Before that, in my early twenties, I clearly remember praying a lot, whether or not I was supposed to go into ministry. And as I said, I haven't always done this well, but I did in this case. So I majored in finance in college thought maybe I'd go into the business world I worked for a mortgage company for a year on home loans and at the end of a year I was miserable I said I do not want to work on home loans the rest of my life I went and worked for an inner city school which was somewhat fulfilling cuz I got to work with people that who were in need but I really wasn't trained for that and I started thinking about and wondering about going into ministry I was close to two of the pastors at my home church back in Dallas Texas and so I asked them lots of questions. I asked for their advice. They didn't tell me what to do, but they did give me advice and ask, told me what kind of questions you should be asking and the kind of things you should be thinking about to go into ministry. And then I did pray. I prayed a lot. I remember asking my parents for advice because I was still in my early 20s. Told them at this point I was seriously thinking about going into ministry, and they gave me their blessing, which they didn't have to do, but they, they did. I looked at three different seminaries, I visited and applied, and I ended up going to Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, again after much prayer. In the first couple of months, I realized I didn't know a single person in the entire state of California, much less at Fuller Seminary, and honestly was lonely and homesick. But because I really felt called at that point, had prayed about it, had thought about it, I stuck it out, I ended up loving it. and and still feel called to ministry today. So in that one case, I really tried to listen to God. I tried to pray to God and seek out others' advice and counsel, and then take a step of faith. So what did God say in this story to Nathan and David? Well, first of all, God is the first-person subject of 23 different verbs in this passage. And this is this part between about verses 4 and 17... Uh, where God is really speaking to Nathan, then Nathan repeats it uh, to David. So God really takes charge. God is in control, and he's, he uses these sentences where he uses, he uses I or a version of I, the first person subject, 23 times in those 13 or 14 uh, verses. God basically says this, and I'm going to paraphrase, but as I do, I want to imagine if, if God were speaking to you, Maybe not about building a temple, but about something else, a big decision, maybe where you hadn't consulted him. What would it be like for God to to, to hear from God in this way? God basically says this to Nathan and then to David. Are you the one to build a house for me? Did I say I needed a house? I've not lived in one since Egypt. I've been moving around in a tent. Did I ever say to any of the leaders of the tribes out in the wilderness, hey, I need a house? No. No. I was content in a tent or a tabernacle. But David, I will make you a house. I have always provided you, for you, from pasture to to be a shepherd, to be ruler over Israel. I helped to cut down your enemies. You know, you won all those battles. That was me helping you along the way. And I want to tell you, your house will endure forever. I will provide a place, a home for Israel, a home of their own, and I will give you rest. And the nation rest after a very busy time. But David, you won't build the temple. Your offspring will, which turns out to be Solomon. And I will never take my love from him, but I will correct him when he does wrong. But your house, David, your throne will be forever established in Israel. And I love that play on words here. God says, you will build me a house? No, I will build you a house. And I think here, uh, David is probably still focused on doing. I think David was a doer. We see him as a a man of action, you know, from being, we read back when he talked about being a shepherd and fighting off the wild animals when he was guarding his sheep and then going to the battle where they were facing Goliath. And David was too young for his father to send him into battle, but he he was delivering food to the battlefield to his brothers. And the entire Israelite Army is afraid to go, but but David goes there anyway and does what he wants. So David is a doer, and he's been winning battles and doing things, and now finally he has the chance to rest. And so we have this play on words: not God, you will not. uh, God says, "You will build me a house." No, I will build you a house. And I was reading about that this week, and came up a couple other play on words which I liked. One writer said, by our work, this is about us now, maybe not about David. By our work, we want to favor God, but God wants us to savor God. We want to favor God by our work, but God oftentimes wants us to savor God, to be with God. We think by doing more and more and more and more, we can please God, but God oftentimes just wants us to know Him. In Psalm 46, he says, be still And know that I am God. And oftentimes I find, even in my own life, I've been reading this in a couple of devotionals lately, when we take time to pray first, oftentimes when we get to the time of the decision, the answer then is more clear if we have first spent time in prayer. Another uh, phrase I liked is Do you ever get distracted from God? Because you are trying to do so much for God. Do you ever get distracted from God? Because as many of you, because you're great leaders and great servants here at ZPC and out in the community, do you ever get distracted from God because you're trying to do so much for God? So instead of favoring God this week, let us savor God. And instead of being distracted from God this week, let us practice being with God first. But what a set of promises that God is making to David. And really, God is making a covenant with David. And scholars agree that this truly is a covenant. And really, this is a, it's a historic time, and it's in line with the other big covenants of the Old Testament. Without going into great detail, I want to say a word about that. God made a covenant with Noah where he said, God will maintain his relationship with human beings and not flood the earth again. He will take care of them. God made a covenant with Abraham, I will make you a nation with many descendants, and you will be blessed to be a blessing. He's going to set up this nation, which will become the nation of Israel through Abraham. God set up a covenant with Moses, God will rescue his people from Egypt using Moses and make them a nation and give them a promised land that then they would travel through the wilderness to get there. And then God makes this covenant with David right here in 2 Samuel 7. The people will have a home, and David's line in this kingdom, David's line in this kingdom, his lineage, will reign forever. We find out many things in what God says. David is dependent on God. God is not dependent on David. God has always provided for David and always will through the line of David. God says no to David's house offered to him, but yes to the house of David, ruling forever. This is not God's intent to humble David, but to lift him up, and to and to and and to help him to establish his house forever, his throne forever. God will allow a temple in the future, not David's temple and not Solomon's temple, really, but God's temple. And I found myself thinking about this again this week. Why did God choose David for all this? And then here in 2 Samuel, God really praises David and, and talks that he is with him and he will build his throne forever. Why David? I think if we look back at David's story and even some of the, just the previous weeks we've done since January, we can get a feel for that. David was close to God. David had intimacy with God. He was the one, as we said, who would go out and fight Goliath when everyone else was afraid, and he called on God and said God would help him to win. David is faithful. He cries out to God when running from Saul. Saul is jealous of David and wants to kill him, and Saul and, and David ends up uh, running around the entire country trying to get away from Saul and cries out to God, asking for God's help. We read last week that David dances in the streets out of worship to God. He worships God with abandon. As we read in in Psalm 23 a few weeks ago, when David prays, he gives praise to God, he gives thanks to God, and he shows a desire in the way he writes and prays that he wants and desires to be close to God. So we can learn from all these things, both about David and what God says here, some things for us. We learn when considering something big, ask God first, pray, and then listen, ask for advice from others, and then when ready, step out in faith. We learn that God opposes the proud. Saul was most likely a very proud man. Saul opposes the proud but lifts up the humble as God has lifted up the young David. Who else was humble like that and was also lifted up? We can fast forward 1,000 years because David reigned around 1,000 B.C., approximately. If we fast forward 1,000 years, we see Mary, just a teenager, chosen to be the mother of Jesus, pregnant before married, and spoken to by an angel. And this is what the angel said in Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33, to the young, scared Mary. You will conceive and give birth... To a son, and you are to call him Jesus, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. We see that God fulfills his promises. He fulfilled his promises to David. God was with David, with Israel, and God is with us through His Holy Spirit, which He sends to us, and also through Jesus, the teachings, and the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We learn that God doesn't need us, but God can use us as He used David. God blesses, blessed David and can bless us and does bless us as well. So, may we be humble before God. Seek to be close to God as David was. Be faithful. Then ask God for help, listen for God to speak, ask others for advice, and step out in faith when God wants us to go. And with that, let us pray. Most loving God, we give you thanks again for this opportunity, God, to gather in this sanctuary or either to gather through technology to be together this morning. God, to hear your word and to be encouraged by this story of David and Nathan, and what God says to them. God, that you are for us, not against us, that you have a plan. God, that we can learn, that we can ask for your help when we listen for your help, that you will lead us and guide us. Help us to do that, to step out in faith, but to listen first, even this week. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.